noisy gong and the clanging cymbal. <laughs> the podcast, the Founders Ministries. Wait, no, that's not it. That's not it. It's that, Sword and Trial. The, it's not. No, it's not either. Sword and Trial. Sword and Trial. Sword and Trial. Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. This is Tom Askell. <laughs> you can only wish. <laughs> And he's Jared Longshore. <laughs> yes, um, this is Jared Longshore, and we're so glad that you joined us today. We're going to talk about the statement on social justice and the gospel, a very important article as I see it, article number 13. You want to read it, Tom? Yes, this is an article on culture. The affirmation says, we affirm that some cultures operate on assumptions that are inherently better than those of other cultures because of the biblical truths that inform those worldviews that have produced these distinct assumptions. Those elements of a given culture that reflect divine revelation should be celebrated and promoted. But the various cultures out of which we have been called all have features that are worldly and sinful. And therefore, those sinful features should be repudiated for the honor of Christ. We affirm that whatever evil influences to which we have been subjected via our culture can be and must be overcome through conversion and the training of both mind and heart through biblical truth. I want to tell people to look out for this article. I can't believe, I can't believe that people have beef with this article. And I think the fact that people have beef with this article really gets to the heart of the problem, what's going on out there. Well, I have had uh, several questions put my way, some by friends who are in association with uh, some of their colleagues who said, look, ma'am, I'm getting some real pushback on this. Can you help me understand what you meant by this? Are you saying that some cultures are better than others? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're not saying that, are you? To which I reply, <laughs> yes. 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 That's I, what I'm saying. That it is better to be... Uh, in a culture that is a uh, republic with a constitution that recognizes inalienable rights than it is to be in a culture that practices cannibalism. Yeah. I mean, let's take, this is just so true on the face of it. Let's take Boko Haram. Yeah. Would you prefer to live uh, amongst a culture in which it's okay to kidnap girls? Yeah. No one would say that. But again, it, it feels so ethnocentric to claim that some cultures are better than others. I mean, I was taught formally back in my day in, in, in uh, my college studies as a sociology major that this was a high crime. It was it, Ethnocentricity was uh, a great sin to be avoided at all costs because oh, there is no superior culture. Yeah. There are just differences. I can't think of a a better opportunity to see that the emperor has no clothes <laughs> than to consider this article. Just look at the affirmation. Of course it's true. Do you want to live? You know, Boko Haram has assumptions, you see. They operate on assumptions, and they are not inherently um, biblical assumptions. And they, they really like what they're doing. They think that it's somehow going to uh, be a good thing for them mm -hmm. and for the society, that we can uh, practice extortion. Yeah. Yeah. So to think that that culture is equal to a culture that promotes inalienable rights is not to think biblically. All Cretans are liars. What? Yeah, all Cretans. You hadn't heard about this? No. I'm going to tell you something. All Cretans are liars. They're evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Now, you want to get mad at me for that? Go ahead. 
No, I won't get mad at you. Um, <clears throat> this this idea of um, when you have elements of a given culture that reflect divine re- revelation, uh, what should happen to those? Uh, those should be promoted. Those should be uh, celebrated. So uh, it's not saying that there are not good qualities to various cultures. There are. When we look at the world, we certainly see different cultures. And when I'm talking culture, I'm thinking religion externalized. That's mm-hmm. the way I think mm-hmm. about it. It's going to be uh, what's the interfaith commitment producing um, in customs and traditions and uh, ways of thinking, ways of living. So when we look out on the world, we see things that do reflect um, biblical truth. Sure. And it's, it's, it's a it's a beautiful sight to see how different cultures can manifest different biblical truths, celebrate them, promote them. Yeah, and that's because God, God has created people in his own image. And so even the worst of people are still image bearers of God. That's right. When we see the dirty, rotten parts of our culture, which exist in every human culture that Absolutely. there is, what should happen to those? Well, those should be repudiated and we should work to put them down. They should be crucified. We shouldn't try to identify with it. That's right. Say it's filthy. Even in constitutional republics, there is evil. So, as a straight white male, for that is what I am, I look at the culture of white superiority that certainly has existed to some degree mm-hmm. in our nation, and I repudiate it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's filthy. And I say, no more. Absolutely. And uh, living today where I have raised six children that have never known a nation that is not advocated as legal, the murdering of unborn children, I repudiate it. And I say that is wicked and evil. You know, we, we really have to wake up to the power of culture, the power of tradition. Mm. We have certain traditions, and it's been wiped out. I was sitting with my grandfather, which post-Thanksgiving now when we're doing this podcast. I was sitting with my grandfather, I think he's in his 80s, and was asking him about going to school when he was a boy in the very same town that I went to school in right, mm. growing up. And I said, hey, did, you, uh, did y'all read the Bible? And he said, every day. Mm. Every day in class we read the Bible. And I said, oh. he said, did you pray? Every day. Every, mm. every morning we had a Bible reading. <laughs> every morning we had prayer. Um, man, Nobody read the Bible or prayed when I went to school. You didn't yeah. do that. That custom, that tradition was gone. And you're going to tell me that that change in culture in schools in America is not a result of an interfaith commitment? Yeah. It is a result of the interreligious impulse. But that does not mean that the day in which your grandfather grew up was free from sinful elements in society. Of course not. We need to be clear on that as well. But we need to fight and labor for um, seeing the inner Christian faith commitment expressed in society, expressed so that there is a there is a culture that is full of Christian truth and uh, Christian ways. So you're talking about subduing the earth again? Yep. Okay. We deny that individuals and subgroups in any culture are unable, by God's grace, to rise above whatever moral defects or spiritual deficiencies have been engendered or encouraged by their respective cultures. What's that mean? It means if you've grown up in a particular culture that has uh, poor dimensions to it, which 
each and every one of us have, that uh, you're not enslaved to those things. You're free in Christ to put sin to death, even the ones that have turned into a pattern in your experience and rise above them to follow Christ and live for him. So, uh, J.D. Vance, Hillbilly Elegy, grew up in poor Appalachia, winds up going to Yale, uh, Ohio State, I think, then Yale Law School, and is a successful attorney today. He's an example of this very denial. section today we want to talk about Don Whitney's book Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. When was that book published Jared? I think it was 1991. Yeah Don's been uh, almost a lifelong friend of mine. I know he's been a friend and uh, teacher of yours as well I think. Didn't you have him? Yes I appreciate Dr. Whitney very much and this is his his bread and butter just a classic book on the spiritual bestseller book i think the billy graham organization purchased like two hundred thousand copies of that shortly after it came out and uh, it's just it's been in print ever since wow well i enjoyed um learning from dr whitney at southern seminary uh, especially as it concerns biblical spirituality he labors the point that the spiritual disciplines exist for the purpose of godliness, that we are to pursue God and the things of God through the Word of God, and we're to do this in Christ, something that's fueled by the Spirit. And he, he, he wants to labor to um, present Christ as the one through whom we engage God by these spiritual disciplines. Yeah, so Don talks a lot about biblical spirituality to contrast it from other forms of spirituality, including Eastern mysticism and uh, some of the medieval mystical writings mm-hmm. as well, uh, Roman Catholicism, and, uh, and even some advocates like Richard or uh, yeah, uh, Foster, right? That's right. Yeah. So I appreciate this book. Um, it, it was the most helpful book that I came across at that point in my spiritual life to think about these categories of fasting and prayer and evangelism and Bible intake uh, from a biblical point of view. He was very helpful to me. That book's been used in this church uh, across decades. Bible intake is a key spiritual discipline, the key spiritual discipline, as Dr. Whitney puts it here. He addresses Prayer, worship, evangelism, serving, stewardship, and uh, many other disciplines. So would highly recommend this book. In the third section, we're considering different commands that we see in Scripture. And today we're looking at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Yeah, that's a pretty straightforward command, isn't it? That's pretty straightforward. So why do you think God gave that specific command to Adam and Eve? Because he's good, holy, and wise. <laughs> Yeah, and to uh, to provide opportunity for their 
compliance, their obedience to his will, to their willing submission to his lordship, and to demonstrate that he is the one who is the author of life. He is the one from whom uh, all true knowledge of good and evil arises, and they are not to usurp his place. We see the generosity of God in that uh, Adam and Eve were able to eat of any tree in the garden except one. He could have switched things around on us, right? <laughs> yeah, that's often lost in this discussion, by the way. You know, it's, well, man, why did God withhold this tree from Well, look what he gave them, just one tree. You can eat of that tree or that tree or this tree over here. Yeah. And isn't that the way we are, though? I mean, when we think about how Adam and Eve fell, it's the one thing that is forbidden, that forbidden fruit that becomes the most attractive to us. Mm-hmm. So there's one no in a world full of yeses to show us the generosity of God. But that one no uh, is a serious no. Absolutely. God's serious about it. He's not the kind of God that says, uh, hey, don't do this or else you're going to die. And then you do it and he's kind of gives you a pass. Well, you hadn't had your nap. Well, <laughs> Adam, Adam just really needs to sleep a little bit today. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it boils back down to what we repeatedly come to. It's a matter of authority. And this is God's world. I really believe that if we would get Genesis 1-1 right and remember that, that uh, we would be set on a pathway to avoid a lot of the uh, silly, unwarranted thinking that arises. This is God's world. What do we make of that warning at the end of the verse? In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Yeah, that's the the promise. I mean, that is the what happened. Adam and Eve ate and they died. They died spiritually. Uh, they began to die physically. Death came into the world. So death came as a result of disobedience to our creator. Mm. You know, he didn't have to give that warning either. No, he could have just said, done it. Don't eat it. That's right. That's right, which is true of other commandments in Scripture with warnings. Yeah. His warnings to us are gracious. Yeah. It's his kindness, again, to um, show us that he's not only telling us what to do, what not to do, but he's even been so good to tell us what would happen if we, if we transgressed his commands. Which is always an inducement for us to live in humble submission to his revealed will. Surely we can't go beyond this command without considering the one who has actually died, truly died, uh, the death that's implied here, and that is our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, The stinger of death has been removed, and the Lord Jesus has taken upon himself our sin and suffered completely for it, exhausting the wrath of God as Jesus Christ has risen again. So we can look at a command like this and not be condemned, but rather rejoice that our God is good and he's merciful. Yes. The first Adam failed miserably. The last Adam has succeeded completely. You have been listening to the Sword and the Trowel podcast with Jared Longshore and Tom Askell. This podcast is produced by Founders Ministries. For more information, visit www.founders.org. To hear more from the Sword and the Trowel, 
You can follow Founders on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by subscribing to our email list at www.founders.org. 